The Square Ball Podcast. Hello there, welcome to the show and Merry Christmas. 10% off your legal fees with Levi Solicitors, levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. My name's Dan Moylan. Hello and Merry Christmas. And with me, Michael Normanton. Back in the studio. And Moscow White, Daniel Chapman. Not happy that he's in the studio. <laughs> I've been given the all clear. I'm absolutely fine of most things. For the benefit of anybody who's not aware, we temporarily broke off from recording together in the studio because your wife carries disease. Uh, yes, she does. And while that is true, I've left her. Excellent. Merry Christmas, everyone. It's <laughs> yeah. all right or no interest? <laughs> I'm, I'm not sure, to be honest. not seen him since I walked out that door. <laughs> TSB Plus, our new subscription package, gets you access to all the podcasts ad-free with early access to the match ball so you can enjoy immediate reaction to highlights such as the absolute thumping at Old Trafford. Uh, there's a daily email in there and you can get a full digital sub for the magazine as part of the package. All the details you need and to sign up is the squareball.net forward slash plus. Unfortunately, sometimes we have to talk about football on this podcast. Should we do the bad one first before we do the good one? Because it happened most recently. I suppose we have to, don't we? We have to address it. The elephant in the room. Okay, so we're talking about the uh, game in Salford over near the Trafford Centre, big shopping centre where people are presumably doing Christmas shopping. Didn't go so well, did it, that one, as we spoke about on the match ball, which I thought was quite funny, actually. I quite enjoyed the way that we managed to not descend into despair and just had a good giggle at the stupidity of it all, because it was pretty daft, wasn't it? It did hurt still to a large extent, I would say. I felt better, actually. Moscow should have said this when we were recording as opposed to afterwards. But um, when we finished, he said, how would we feel if that had been Liverpool that had done that to us? And it wouldn't have felt as bad, would it? I mean, partly because Liverpool are actually a good side, whereas Scum are, generally speaking, not. But he was right. Yeah, I think my question was, if it had been the Liverpool game, the first one of the season, if that had been 6-2, then I don't think people would have minded as much. And it has been um, interesting. Phil Hay has been talking about the reaction, comparing it to the Sheffield Wednesday game, the 6-0 that we lost in under Brian McDermott. And I think the, the circumstances around everything is is different because that game came straight after we just lost an embarrassed and outplayed and outperformed 2-0 by Rochdale in the FA Cup was seven days earlier. So that was the time when there really was no hope. Everything was bleak. Our players were terrible. Our team was rubbish. And the imminent takeover didn't look like it was necessarily going to be helpful. This time, we've still got the Newcastle 5-2 to talk about. And we play Burnley next. And is that thing somebody, I saw somebody in a tweet express it quite well, where it's only under Bielsa. And that's not to praise him. It's like, if you name all the the managers we've ever had, you know, you, you never really get this in modern times. Only with Bielsa can you lose 6-2 and then be like, can't wait for the next game. It's going to be brilliant. It is quite unique, the circumstance, actually, in that regard. Yeah, I hadn't thought about it like that. So good, well done, that anonymous person on the internet whose idea we're stealing and not crediting. And well done us for losing 6-2. Yes, it's made everything... I'm well, glad. It's, it's confused a lot of people. I think that's one of the... I've enjoyed that, actually. Yeah, one of the pleasures of this result is how, as the days of have gone by. Um, I think during the match, obviously, you're just being walloped by malevolence from the first minute. And then there's the, there's the immediate aftermath where you're, you're hating what's just happened. But since then, it seems like everybody else who does not support Leeds is much, much more outraged by what happened on that pitch. They can't play like, how dare they? Well, this is a, you know, some people are talking as if this was a, the way Leeds played was a disgrace to dour football. And other people are talking like it's the greatest football that's ever been played, that that match, you know, Leeds United's performance in that game should be raised on a pedestal and 
and celebrated forever. And I think us as Leeds fans in the middle are just like, well, just us how we've been for two and a half years, isn't it? It's and so it's been interesting to to see how we're we're quite easily capable of putting that that kind of result and performance just on the shelf with all the other ones. Whereas the outrage that keeps spinning around every, every morning this week, it's now Wednesday, there's been another batch of headlines where some fucker from the 1990s who I've forgotten ever kicked a ball has got an opinion on what Leeds United did in the the Man United game. And they, they all seem to be confused. And I like it. I like that we're causing so much arguments. It's what we're here for. It's what we've always been here for since 1919. And that's what it's done, actually. It's held a mirror up to or shone a light on whichever way you want to look at this. The outside football world, it's been more of a reflection about what's happening outside of Leeds United and how it views Leeds than us per se, because we know this could potentially happen, particularly when we go up to the Premier League and we're facing sides that have got the ability to counter us like the players at Man United did, sadly. But to hear those crap opinions and hear them voiced over and over again, and the same opinion, the same opinion, the same opinion, it's like they're not adding anything new to the debate, are they? It's actually making them look worse. And it's like that Chelsea clown, Rory, whatever his name was, who tweeted something about the reaction about Leeds getting all the praise or Bielsa getting all the praise. It's not the point, is it? We're providing entertainment and it's not just entertainment because we're doing fairly well. Not brilliantly, but we're doing fairly well. For a newly promoted team, I'm sure there's all the charts circulating this week that we've got the second highest points total of a newly promoted team. We've already won as many games this season as Norwich won all last season. Yeah, but they did it properly. In fact, they didn't actually. People were annoyed that Norwich were attacking as well, weren't they? But Only in the first game they gave up after they <laughs> trounced at Liverpool, didn't they? That's true. After the restart, they didn't really bother restarting either. They just, yeah, they just continued losing. It's Bielsa just playing as he always plays and sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't and he's happy with that. But he's more than willing to accept that sometimes you get badly beaten because getting beaten by four goals is the same as getting beaten by one and why would you not try to score goals? That word naive, I feel like we should repurpose the gantry bell for a as a naive bell and it's why I was sort of trying to clarify what, can we, not just, what we all meant. Can we not use it as a Danny Mills as a shit opinion bell? I mean, I'm sure he's... We need, we need to work on the name, but... He's used uh, plenty of naivety has come out of his mouth in the last week. But it's why I wanted to clarify what we what we meant by it on the, the match ball, because it's just become this sort of catch-all, anti-fun cliche, where because we, we aren't set up 5-4-1 to get beat 2-0, it's naive. And it seems like it's just a response to anything... Anything nice. You see it a lot just in general usage, particularly online, where people seem to revel in that attitude of, you know, life is shit, so why should there be anything nice? You're naive if you think you can have something nice. But, you know, you, oh, I'd, I'd quite like to grow some flowers in my garden. That's naive. They'll, the, they'll never grow in that sort Butterflies will eat them. Exactly. And it's that's been coming up. And again, as I walked down here, I was listening to you two with Phil Hay on the Phil Hay show. And he was talking about um, previewing the the Burnley match and referencing them and Bournemouth and the ceiling to their potential. And it made me think about that Burnley game coming up because he's saying, you know, Burnley, he didn't say this, but he was kind of hinting towards it. Burnley are never going to have an 80,000 stadium at Turf Moor or, you know, anywhere near their their town and be winning the Champions League and whatever. Um, there's a ceiling to their potential. And if you've got that ceiling to your potential, why don't you, within that, you've got to do something else because otherwise, what's the point in going to watch Burnley play? So make it entertaining. Make it something enjoyable to watch so that when you go to the, the stadium on a Saturday afternoon when you're allowed to, you're not just sitting there going, 
well, scrappy 1-0 defeat, that's what I'm looking forward to. But even if it is a defeat, and even if you do get relegated at the end of the season, there may still be the moment you can see a footballer do good things. Stuart Dallas's goal at Old Trafford was a great goal. And you should there should be the ability, specific, particularly in an age where goals like that just go around on Twitter without any context, and people just go, oh, good hit that. And you can, you can just remove it from, from the game. It's got, there's a really good footballer who did a really good thing and it looks really good and that's enjoyable. But that's when people go, that's a naive way of looking at football. They lost. There were no points at the end. And it, it is, it feels like a, a conflict between people who only enjoy football in terms of what's printed in the newspaper and the classified results the next day. One nil, two nil. What was the result? Don't care about anything else. And the rest of us who kind of remember that if you're paying you know, how much is it to go and watch a Premier League match? 45 quid or something to sit in the cold for 90 minutes. You want to see something better than shit. Yeah, I, th- I think the lack of entertainment is the Premier League's biggest problem at the minute because, well, it's, it's a self, self-fulfilling prophecy, isn't it? When you shove all the money towards the top clubs and show them on TV most often. And what they're trying to do is reinforce that gap. They're trying to stretch it further by looking at things like Project Big Picture. If they stretch it further, the only thing that will happen is the clubs at the bottom will only try and consolidate more and more and more and the, the gap will widen and the level of ambition will drop. So you're going to make your product worse. I think people forget as well the grinding pragmatism of people like Stoke when they were in this league. Even Stoke fans who were almost proud of the way they played and the long throws and stuff, by the end, even they were like, oh, isn't there more to it than this? This, this yeah. is boring, isn't it? Just finishing like 10th to 15th every season and it being shit. Like, let's just see if Mark Hughes can do it. Probably not, but at least it's not Tony Pulis and we can have a little break from just people twatting a ball at a big man. And a few weeks ago, Man United's fans, not all of them, but there were a section of them online, probably the same ones who make all the noise now, were saying, I'd love Bielsa in charge instead of Solskjaer because he provides entertainment and attacking football. Imagine Bielsa with these players or imagine Bielsa with these players. And it's really been exposed by the pandemic when football was brought back before anything else because the, the nation needed a morale boost. We needed something on the television that wasn't just repeats to entertain us and that's why well we'll even put it on the BBC so that anybody can tune in and watch it you don't have to subscribe if you've got a TV license you've got a telly if you've not got a TV license and you're nicking it just watch the game feel happy and it's fucking rubbish and that's been shown up time and time again by um, you know with this opportunity of having absolutely every Premier League match available to watch to you because of the, the timings of the kickoff, you can always find it whether you're finding it online or however you're watching it so the temptations there, and the the scum derby is probably the absolute epitome. That's a game that I do look for and think, oh, that you know, that's one, that's a big match, that'll be exciting. Maybe you remember, it's not a good result, but when um, scum beat City five one and the Mark Hughes um, bicycle kick, a famous moment. You think, well, you know, something exciting might happen. We had more shots losing to scum than Man City had drawing nil-nil with them. We played better. We put on a better show. And it was, even if, um, I used to talk about this a lot when we were in the championship in the the Milanic and Rosler and Evans years, that I just wanted to feel some kind of excitement. You fell in love with Jordan Bataka for exactly that reason, even though he was clearly not very good. The ball came to his feet and he would do step overs and he'd try across and occasionally they would they would get to someone and that yeah the other attitude would be and John Barnes talked about this years ago he said he was raised to play football where it was exciting that you know beat six players and his, his, the Jamaican side of his heritage would always be look at that he's beaten six players he's just dribbled around six players that's incredible 
But then the English First Division is like, well, where's the cross? Where's where's the output? Where's the, what what do his stats say? He's, he's contributing. Not beat six players. He's done nothing. But how it's fucking difficult to beat six players. And you know, Bataka, you can. I don't think we ever saw him beat six, but he was certainly a lot better at taking on a man than Luke Varney. And that, just that little bit of entertainment. And I was yearning for that. And it comes in a six-two beating. But I would still look at the the Stuart Dallas goal and I think that's a really good goal and the other chance is Rafinha that shot that De Gea saved and then the the last minute when Pat Miss kicked and Jackie Harrison put it a foot wide but the other thing about that was 6-2 and it's stoppage time and we've got two players in the six yard box trying to score For a bit of balance I do want to say it was excruciating to watch them attack so much Yeah The amount of times they got through and I thought it's going to be seven it's going to be seven. Christ. It was out of control and ugly, wasn't it? But that patch where Melia made about four saves in about two minutes, that was horrible to watch. But afterwards, you can, you know, we return to what we were saying and we kind of broke down a little bit the use of the term naive on the match ball. And you've just done it again there, Moscow. And I think I've resolved it into the, kind of this that we did some naive actions on the day itself in terms of we said, you know, on the match ball, some decision making was poor people playing balls inside. And you thought, oh, don't pass it there. And they had done it. It just gave Man United another chance versus a naive setup. And I don't think it was a naive setup, which is the accusation that has been levelled at Leeds in the wake of this by the quote-unquote experts, because we could have scored four or five ourselves. So there is an argument there to say, well, why not give it a go? If you're going to lose, at least go down you know, in a blaze of glory. Well, we beat Newcastle 5-2, and no one accused Steve Bruce of being naive, did they, earlier in the week? Even that when they're getting beaten 5-2 by a newly promoted team. Because yeah, we... he took all the flair out of his midfield, which we spoke about. He took all the flair out of his midfield in a bid to try and stay solid, and it backfired spectacularly. Yeah, but people went, oh, at least he's lost in a nice, recognisable way. At least he didn't try and do anything and lost. That's good. Scored a goal from a set piece, counter-attacking goal, lost by three. Brilliant. Well done. And the other thing he did, which is always worth bearing in mind against the Leeds have been found out accusations, is he... He tried to do what Solskjaer did successfully. He had Callum Wilson on Phillips, trying to drag him out of position, much as West Ham did it with, it was Ben Rama, kept pulling Phillips out of the way. So it's it's been happening to him. City were doing it. And Phillips in some games against Manchester City, him and Click sorted it out. Um, Newcastle, it wasn't a problem. Against Scum, it was Bruno Fernandes doing it to him. And if you subscribe to Propaganda, you'll know the, the incredibly detailed tactical breakdown before every match that we deliver from the chalkboard there concluded that Ole Gunnar Solskjaer's game plan would be offering Fernandez a car if he would win the game for him because he's their only good player but he is a brilliant player and the, the fee I just checked before is something like 50 million rising to 80 million and of course Calvin Phillips fresh out of the championship is going to find it difficult to be on top of his game when he's essentially got one of the best players in Europe is his direct opponent with a plan to stop him. So it's it's a it's a bit of respect for Calvin Phillips that Fernandez is being used in that way. But then it's also no mystery that after three minutes at Old Trafford, before he's got a chance to settle into the game, he's been pulled all over the place twice, and it's two nil. And you know if Scott McTominay had different boots on, it's nil nil, and there's a chance to reset. But I think there was a where some of the the mental side came into the game, I think the players did just think, oh, we've absolutely fucked this. And it took a, a long while to recover. And to get from that point, to get from the three-minute point of we've let everybody down to the 95th-minute point where we're trying to, to get a third goal just for the fucking sake of it to make people happy is a, a very good mental recovery. 
Propaganda is the name of the daily email that you send out, Moscow, that he's referring to there. It's also the name of this section in the podcast where we bring you the bits of, well, what other people have been saying about Leeds. Not necessarily going to be a happy listen, the Man United one this week, but we do have some clips. I did go on some of the watch-along stuff and I couldn't bear to put in the clips of them scoring goals. It was too bad. It was too awful. There's too much. Well, you'll hear the mank noise in general on these clips is is almost... The, it's almost unbearable. The City fans were bad, but this does remind me that there is some kind of difference in the, the tone and timbre of a voice of a scum fan compared to a... It's that added entitlement in there, I think. Just, yeah. It just gives it a certain edge. They tend to skew older as well. I don't know if it's because of the um, the timings of their successes that, you know, Manchester City were only invented in 2004, whereas all the all the scum fans sound like they've just been dragged out of some horrible backstreet pub in Cheetham Hill. This first clip was Webby and O'Neill. Obviously, I don't know who they are. The scum fans. These are sort of two more... Neil Webb and Martin O'Neill. It doesn't sound they like... Both them. played for scum, didn't they? Did Martin O'Neill play for scum? I don't think so. Red shirt, white shorts, Nottingham Forest, wasn't it? But, yeah, these are two sort of old school blokes, but they're just the worst. And on the voice, actually, one of them sounds a little bit like he's... If you picture, like, a dog eating some food out of a bowl on the floor while talking, it's kind of how I imagine one of these people. If you're a Leeds fan... Let me tell you, don't you worry about that second half, a couple of chances you had. We had more. But that first half, we totally dominated you, just smashed you all over the field, first to the ball, and shown you what football's all about, Webby. That football, in that first half, you're not going to get much better than that. I have not seen football like that. First touching, first to the ball, and we just left you for dead. You're looking at, obviously, the first two goals, and... We've spoken about it on the show and people have spoken out in other places about playing two defensive midfield, but how I was there. McTominay, you know, he's hit that ball great. He's running away before it's hit the back and hit the first one. And the second one there, the touch from Martial, the running side, you know, great, you know, sort of Fred again. Yeah. Both five four, yeah. both yeah. pushing <laughs> forward. Unbelievable. I just I just cannot get over, right, the first three minutes. Right. Right. Jesus Christ. It's reminding me, you can't talk to a scum fan to tell you everything. You know what you think? <laughs> you think this. Like, no, that's completely opposite. Yeah, you think this, you. Okay. It's how the world is, I'm Manchester. Oh, shut up. The way he opened up as well was as if it was a, you know, a, a game between two sides with equal resources as well, completely ignoring the fact we scored you. Well, yeah, okay. You've Well done. We're 13. I mean, it's a, it's Ilham, a Michael Owen, Neville Ilham, Southall situation. Ilan Melier basically might as well be 13 in, in Premier League years. I slandered Martin O'Neill there, 13 games for Manchester City. That's his only involvement. With, well, uh, Forest, Man City, Man United, it's all the same, it's isn't all it? The red kits. Same nonsense. Uh, Stretford Paddock did a watch along and they were 4-0 up. And this, what's the, what is this noise? How do you even describe it? It's, you won't be surprised, would you, if, if Leeds did get a goal or two? So this is what I mean. It's just don't let them back into the game, any shape or form. Keep them out, clean sheets. See, there you, there, you there you go. There you go. There it is. Four-one. Back in the back Fuck in the off. game because they've got another half now to get yeah. back into it. Fucking hell! You so, had your warnings. Did you listen? It. No. Shit, defending from the corner yet again. Who is it? It's Fred. Christ. I, was, I don't mean to blaspheme as well, especially around Christmas, but Christ, Santa Claus. That's just. Oh god, my ears! It's like it's like having Coronation Street rammed into your ears with a hot poker, isn't it? Doesn't have a bit of Ashley Peacock about it, that voice, doesn't it? <laughs> it is telling, though. I mean, there's there is an interesting point in there that four in the look when Cooper scored, there was just that little thought of 
we can score four. I had the um, the Liverpool match, the famous one, the 5-4 from 1991 in mind. Of like, could the second half be completely different and happen for us? And it's interesting that even though the first one was saying, that's the best football you've ever seen, that one, his sad little mate, I mean, different podcasts, but they're probably all sad mates, um, had the different view that, you know, they've got one. We've got to be careful. You've had your warning. And a warning. But despite the result, it's nice to know that we are still very much hated. There's like this thing in it, like I know Steve obviously loves Bielsa, but there's like a lot of people saying that Leeds aren't as hated by other clubs as they used to be because of Bielsa and the fact he's popular and mm. the football he plays and stuff like that. But you just got to take the fans into the equation, aren't you? Because Leeds fans are amongst the most abhorrent in the history of football. They really are. They're horrible people. I think of a few more sets of fans as well. Yeah, but yeah, there is obviously. But the, you put Leeds in the sort of the the Millwalls of this world, wouldn't Top you? Fat. Yeah, not anymore. Would you not? No, not anymore. Uh, what a start, though. What a start, though, eh? Yeah, what a start. Talking about let's rank worst fans. <laughs> Who's got the worst fans? Well, I think they're up there, but he disagrees. He thinks not anymore. Another classic example of it. He thinks less. I, I want to have an argument, but you know what he thinks? It's an absolute scum tick. Absolutely. You don't think that, do you? You don't agree with me. I mean, I had to watch more than I wanted to of that to try and find some clips from it. And the bloke who's in the middle of that clip, the one speaking there, he does absolutely hate it. It's dripping off everything he says, which is delicious. He looks a bit like Ollie Decor, which is slightly off-putting, which I'm sure he probably hates himself as well every time he looks in the mirror. But I think he's fucking like that. You Ollie Decor, like, You look like that scum bastard. Great. At least we had a bit more fun then uh, with the propaganda around the Newcastle fixture. Because uh, obviously a much nicer result for us. We only lost the game uh, the week 1-0 on goal difference, didn't we? So that's fine, really. It seems a world away. Uh, Magpie Channel TV did the watch along now. So this is the goal that took us 4-2 up. You can not get the full picture from just the audio, but you can just about hear him stropping off and slamming a door. Tell me we're a good head. How are you, Sean? Good touch in the box. No, it wasn't a good touch. It was too heavy and it's cleared away. Should have just got a shot away. Now leads, are, now leads encounter. Oh, God, it's going to be three on two here. Yeah. It's going to be four on two. It's going to be five on two. Lewis needs to get tackling. The lane enough for Leeds. Four two Leeds condition. Fucking lining up, man. Literally any one of them could have put that in there. That's a fucking piss take that. What, what we're doing, man? What is the crack here? Five of them lining up. Never seen not like that before. Fucking hell. Alioski with a goal. Way, man. What a fucking joke, man. Don't think they enjoyed that, did they? It's nice, though, to see opposition fans learning about the way we play in real time, going, ah, it's going to be three on two here, four on two, five on two. Ah, fuck. <laughs> We're in bother. The strops do continue when we make it five as well, which is nice. Four two. That's shit. Fuck me. Could be more, yeah. Could be more. Leads on the counter again. Wait, Flying forward. You're fucking joking, aren't you? They honestly just scored again. You're fucking joking, mate. Leeds 5, Newcastle 2. Nay way. Oh, my fucking God. To be fair, that's a great goal, but just backing off, backing off, letting them come. I kind of deal with this shit, man. We're getting beat off the fucking team that got promoted from the championship last season. 5 fucking 2. From our corner. From <sighs> our corner. I am feeling a lot better listening to this. <laughs> just cheer you up, doesn't it? Nay way. Nay way. Yeah, there's a pen thrown on that one. He do, he stays in, in front of his screen, but he does throw a bit of something. Uh, and to after the game, and the joy hasn't returned for them, sadly enough. And there's a lovely turn of phrase in this one at the end. Welcome to the match reaction. Five, two, 
thrashing at Leeds, embarrassment at Ellen Road, embarrassment road. Fuck me, where do I start with this? I should try and calm down. The blood pressure is getting a bit through the roof, yeah. But to get thrashed off a team that's just been promoted from the championship, they finished the pitch with pretty much the same bastard 11 that got promoted just a few months ago. And we've been absolutely done up the arse until next Sunday, yeah. 5 2 against Leeds. Are you taking the fucking piss out of me? <laughs> Love that. What are you getting for Christmas? <laughs> Don't be asked till next Sunday. That's not a saying, is it? Welcome to Newcastle. I enjoyed as well his um, his insistence at the start. I need to watch my blood pressure <laughs> to to ending with somebody is personally taking the piss out of me here. <laughs> embarrassment at Ellen Road. Embarrassment, embarrassment Road. It's embarrassment Road. Fantastic. God, I hope he didn't have an aneurysm when they lost to uh, to Brentford in the League Cup. I mean, in this last clip, he does, I think he's decided to have a little word with himself. He's like, no, I'm going to talk about Leeds, I'm going to praise Leeds. And he hates Sean Longstaff, like he's been going on about this throughout the game. And he's, he gets about five seconds into praising us, then the the flicker of Sean Longstaff comes into his head and he just loses the plot again. Now, don't get us wrong, in the preview, I praised Leeds, I prayed Marcelo Bielsa, I said it would be a tricky game, I said it would be a high-scoring game. What I didn't say is that we'd get beat by a three-goal margin and have five goals scored against her. It's an absolute fucking disgrace. It's shambles. It's shit show. I could go on and on. Sean Longstaff, fuck clean off. You fraud. He's a massive, massive fraud. Biggest fucking fraud in the Premier League. Get him off to fucking Division 2 in the Netherlands with Sorensen. He's not fucking good enough. And we all want him to do well. Now, don't get us wrong, I love Long stuff. I love the idea of a local lad, but I don't love him now. He hasn't been good since 2018. Rafa Benitez made him look like a fucking world beater and we should have sold him to Man United when we had a chance. Now we've got stuck with him and he's fucking stuck in the mud. Two goals, the decisive goals, where he's stuck in the mud and he gives the bastard ball away. He doesn't just do it the day in the box where it matters. He does it every single fucking game in the middle of the park. He's so slow. He's stuck every single time. He hasn't got a clue of his surroundings. He hasn't got a clue of what he's meant to be doing. What does he bring to the team? He loves him. Don't get me wrong. I love him, but not anymore. (laughs) I love him, but he's a shambles, a shit show. We should have sold him. When you walked out on your wife because she caught COVID, is this the parting conversation? (laughs) I loved you in 2018, but I was just rougher. But you're a shit show. And a shamble. (laughs) I should have sent you to Manchester when he had the chance. (laughs) Oh, dear. Better when we win, isn't it? I love the idea of a wife. <laughs> it is. I, I can't get that angry about Leeds anymore. I'm far more philosophical about it. Maybe just because we're having a nice time with Bielsa, but that's great. It's good to know that other fans are suffering and it's not just us. Probably in a in our position, given he got hauled off at halftime at Old Trafford, you're looking for somebody who's going, Calvin Phillips, I love the idea of a local lad, but I, I, I hate you. Fuck off to with fucking Vernon and Eater, said Holland Division 2. <laughs> A good wrap-up of 2020 with Phil Hay on The Athletic this week. If you want to have a nosy at Phil's stuff and get yourself a sob, if you haven't yet subscribed, now's the time to do it. They've got plenty of great offers on. The latest of ours is at theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. You can read everything Phil's done, get all the podcasts ad-free from The Athletic and read everything about the rest of the football world. Though I would probably avoid the Man United feed just for a little while longer yet. The comedy hasn't returned there yet. There's not much value in it. Theathletic.co.uk forward slash the square ball. All I want for Christmas is Adama Traore and his massive 
massive biceps that are oiled. Imagine having a player that you've got to oil up. Job for Alioski. Yep. <laughs> I'm sure he'd love that. He'd absolutely love that. Do you reckon there's anything in this? Uh, or is it just lazy stuff based around Victor Orta having signed him before for Middlesbrough? Because cause his contract is up in the summer and he doesn't look like he's going to sign one. Over summer he was being linked with an 80 million move and he's a winger. We've just bought one of them. So probably not. But you never know. Maybe you will play him as a left back or something. Who was going to pay 80 million for him? Scum, probably. Yeah, they, they like that number, don't they? It's always Harry Maguire, 80 million, Fernandez. They only wanted 40 by the sounds of it, but can we give you 80 million eventually? The bare truth of it is that the contract is expiring, so they've got to take something rather than take nothing, haven't they, at some point? I thought he had 18 months left on it still. I don't know. I read differently. <laughs> Should we research this live on the internet? Let's, let's find it's a, it's a, it's a rumour from the internet, so if we find the person who started the story... They should have all these answers. I don't think see why we should know. Interesting. I've just done a quick Google on this, and the first thing that's popped up is on Team Talk, which says Traore is under contract at Molyneux until 2023. So he's got forever to run on it, so we're not getting him. Brilliant. <laughs> <laughs> Besides, he's too big anyway. Bielsa doesn't like big people, does he? But he'll make him wither. He'll, he'll probably like leave him in a room at Thorpe Arch to starve a bit so he's lost about four stone. It's, a lot of it seems to be based on how the cost of going out the team, but that doesn't seem too unusual. We have a lot of wingers. I don't think we necessarily need to buy more wingers. We can probably cope with um, Rafinha, Harrison, Alioski, Dallas, technically. Imagine Paul Ole and Paveda squaring up to him on his first day at training. You're coming to take my place, are you? I'm going to do you, son. Exactly. And Hernandez, when he comes on, he, it was interesting in the, the Newcastle game that when Hernandez came on, he went right wing and Rafinha went to Number 10. So we, we, we're not short in the, the wide departments. I think the Costa um, business of him being kind of bombed down to the under-23s has got people wondering, you know, Ooh, what's his future going to be? But, you know, with the number of wingers we have, they can't all play. And it's it's kind of natural that I would keep Helder Costa as a, as a backup to Rafinha before I spent £80 million on Adama Traore to be back up to Rafinha because if we if we carry on with Rafinha and Harrison as our first choice wingers I don't think we'll be in bad shape it's not a, a, an area that's particularly annoying me he'll put Harrison to left back that's what he'll do get Traore get Rafinha on the left that massive bastard on the right I mean I would like him yeah if, if we can have him this can, we can have a word with Wolves say look the cost of the Douglas thing it's not worked out brilliantly have you need to third time looking you need to do us a favour here mm. he keeps selling his duds Swap them. They can have Costa back. Yeah, that seems fair. And then we've, if we have the space in the squad from that, then then we'll do it. Or we just get Costa on the roids. <laughs> Save our money. Make him massive. Could work. Are you suggesting that Traore's been on the roids? No, no, not at all. <laughs> I'm sure he's done that through hard gym work. But yep. I'm just saying for Costa, shortcut. Fair enough. That's what it's all about. Those rules are there to be broken, aren't they, Michael? <laughs> just go shopping or something. That's what people have done in the past, isn't it? When the drug testers have turned up. Don't know. Naming no names. <laughs> yep. Talking of the under-23s, they are top of the league because we keep playing loads of old men in there who are far too good for that league. We absolutely destroyed Fulham 7-1, which actually, I mean, joking apart, there was at least a tiny bit of tonic involved in that after losing 6-2 at Old Trafford. You thought, ah, oh, well, at least we can do it to somebody else, albeit a bunch of kids from uh, from South London. I mean, you say loads of old men. There's only Hernandez and Costa. I mean, Hernandez is admittedly taking the piss a bit with an, in an under-23s game, a man who looks like he's from the 1920s. But it's only because a lot of these players have been in, around our first team that we consider them 
almost too good for the under-23s, but Tyler Roberts and Greenwood and Paveda and Creswell and Davis, these are all under-23 players, so it's the right place for them. They should stay there. <laughs> no, if they can escape. I'm not, I mean, I do wonder how Davis felt about going from Old Trafford to this within like, was it the day after? It was, wasn't it? Was it was the day after. Yeah, it came on and then you're like, yeah, you've got 45 minutes of this next. And you're like, oh, Jesus. Really? <laughs> Playing next to a housing estate and a prison in Weatherby. <laughs> he got his photo on the, the lineup thing. He was named first. It's a, a bold move from the graphics department at LUFC when they, they tweeted this lineup out to put at the bottom and say, strong side for Mark Jackson today with Davis, Pervader, Roberts, Hernandez and Costa. If we'd lost 7-1, they might delete that. <laughs> Just take that down and pretend we didn't do it. But Can we get promoted from this league? Is yeah. that how it works? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's just yeah. a straight up promotion. There's no weird like tier one plus. Might even academies. get a cup. Oh, okay. Maybe this is the, the secret plan this year is to get the 23s into Premier League one. I don't know. Do you get something for that? Do they give you another 10 million quid? Maybe. I mean, in all honesty, I know we're not going to go down. But if we did, because I always have this little pessimistic bit of me. It little, is a little bit pessimistic bit of you. Okay, but yeah, if we did and we had to sell Rodrigo and Rafinha and Phillips, it's good to know that the people who are underneath them can probably do a decent job for you if you go down. That's um, I meant to clarify that from the scum match ball because I accidentally started saying that we should play Charlie Cresswell and Oliver Casey together at the back with, with Leif Davis and also have Eddie Gray in charge, which wasn't what I meant. I I meant that in the situation we had where Leif Davis had to come on, I was quite relaxed because the development of the team, we do want to see players like Leif Davis and Oliver Casey and maybe Greenwood soon having... Joffy as well. Joffy as well, having a little bit of time in the first team to improve. And if that comes about through an injury, I think we can cope with a couple of games if Leif Davis is playing left-back instead of Gianni Alioski. I don't think it would hugely weaken us and I think even those circumstances we saw it with the goalkeepers in Bielsa's first season when Will Huffer played in goal because he was our goalkeeper and he knew what to do if it did end up that it's Charlie Cresswell there against West Brom or somebody I'm fine with it just see what happens and we'll probably get the same result as we would otherwise On that note I'm looking forward to the, the Crawley Cup game actually where we might see Gail Hart something like that because he's, he's been in fine form as little Joffield and I'm, I'm looking forward to maybe seeing some uh, some first team action on the telly. Although I did tune in to see us play Blackpool in the Papa John's or whatever it was, thinking, oh, it'd be good to see some of these players. And instead, I just saw Kiko Kassir picking the ball out of his net three times <laughs> in the space of about half an hour and thought, oh, I pretend this isn't happening. Yeah, yeah. but it'll be, di- it'll be a different story because that was the proper kids' kids, wasn't it? It wasn't the under-23s. It's yeah, the it's under Kiko 20- Kassir in goal. Yeah, playing for the under-21s, as he should be. Yeah, you, you shouldn't look at the, the Papa John's. You should look at the, how the players performed in the League Cup against Hull, which was uh, a much more promising defeat. One other thing that's been in the, the headlines is the subs thing. Uh, we are now allowed to use, or to name rather, uh, nine on the bench, isn't it? Something like that instead of seven, or is it up from whatever? Yeah, you can yeah. have another couple. So Costa was allowed to go to to Old Trafford you can still only use three but it does mean you know very good Davies gets to to have a trip out sit and watch so assuming that Bielsa's standpoint in, on this is that our fitness that he's worked very very hard on the conditioning is a big feature of Leeds United's play do you agree with keeping it at three I don't really care there does seem to be a lot of whinging about it and it's impossible to take any of the substitutes arguments in good faith I think the the concussion subs question is probably a, a more 
interesting one and a more instructive one to see how that's gone, where it's it's all tending towards, it's not about what's the safest thing for the players, whether, you know, are they going to be at risk of a serious head injury if, if there's not a concussion sub available, because they've brought in that, that counter rule where, or at least they're proposing a counter rule, where if one team has to bring on a player because of a concussion, the other team gets a substitution as well, which is just an absolute mad proposal based on incredible amounts of suspicion that undercuts the whole thing. Because if you're if you're Leeds United and Liam Cooper's got a head injury and you want to take him off for 15 minutes to assess him, but you're looking at the other team's bench and say it's Wolves and they've got a Dharma Traore that they can bring on for 15 minutes fresh to absolutely bomb past whoever you've brought on at centre-back, you're still going to be in that mindset of thinking, oh, well, let's just leave Cooper out there and, and not worry about his head injury because we don't want them to bring Traore on the pitch. And for that to be how that proposed, that situation is ending up where it's, well, if they get a substitute, we have to have a substitute because they might cheat. It, they, they might they might bring on uh, Franco Baresi because they'll pretend he's got a concussion. <laughs> and then, so if they do that, we have to bring on our best player. And nobody is actually thinking about what will protect a, a player with a fucking fractured skull as we saw at Arsenal Wolves. The other week, and it's the same. It's a similar thing with this, where everybody's just like, "Well, if they can bring on five substitutes, then they'll bring on two more good players than we will." And who's got the better squad? And it's all, it's all um, tied up in that horrible pragmatic suspicion, which ignores what's going to make for the the better game of football that the players will actually live to the end of. There is a very practical way around that, and that is to do a little bit of what rugby does, which is if you are taken off using the concussion rule you have to sit out two weeks something like that mm. so there's actually not a punishment or a detriment but it's done for your own safety so you can't use it you can't suddenly say to your, your centre forward go down clutching your head you might bloody hell Grealish would bloody it'd be out all year wouldn't he I mean I don't actually want to see five subs because I think it ruined it after uh, lockdown I think the um, three subs is is enough I think it's just more that the, the air of suspicion around it all really exposes what the, the Premier League is like where you have to do all these things. Well, you have to have this, invent these rules because you can't trust a club to to be honest about whether a player has concussion and is and has an injury or not. Everybody is just assuming it will be a trick. And the only club where you know it will not be a trick is Marcelo Bielsa's Leeds United because we're the only club that stands for purity, beauty, truth and honesty. And it's not sustainable. <laughs> How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volur XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. 
Just to let you know, there will be no regular podcast this next week between Christmas and New Year because we have two games in three days. So uh, we will do two match balls instead. And they will be for Burnley at home on the 27th at noontime. And then we go to the Hawthorns, West Brom at 6pm on the 29th. I'd quite like us to win these games, both of them, and take six points. Two games in three days, sustainable or not sustainable? Well, how many substitutes can we have? Let's win. Let's just win these games and then we don't have to worry about losing to Man U too much anymore because we'll be almost certainly safe. Do you want to see Pat Bamford shoving his low move back down Sean Dyche's throat? It would be nice. He could do a little violin playing celebration in front of him or something to mock his poshness, perceived poshness anyway, as far yeah, as Sean Dyche. There's some low-key beef there, isn't there, actually? But Pat Bamford doesn't have beef, does he? Because he's a nice lad. Well, we've said before, we pointed out in the Championship, he always scored against Bolton and Blackburn. He loves the Lancashire Mill Towns, beginning with B. So I'm expecting um, hat-trick minimum. Hat-trick Bamford to return. And what do you think Sean Dyche's reaction to that would be? <laughs> I mean, I can't. I can't imagine what he'd say. He'd, he'd probably just say, just "Get it in the box." Do you? How, how would that sound? <laughs> get it in the fucking mixer. Do you not think he'll be glad to see? It would it? It would it on his head. Do you not think he'll be glad to greet Patrick again? Maybe have a, a handshake with him before the game to say, you know, bygones are bygones. The past is the past. I don't think he'd say that now. What would he say? <laughs> don't make me do this. It genuinely hurts. So, as as we were saying about that bloody. Chelsea idiot who didn't understand the concept of Leeds United being entertaining. Your job is to entertain the audience with Look, silly voices. You heard Bielsa in the 90th minute of us 6-2 down at Scum. Again! Again! Look, Ken's popping in to do a Christmas message soon. Do You, want, you don't want that to be... Um, it's, it's obviously a different person. Yeah, I don't see how that's relevant. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's Sean Dyche what, you want to hear from. What are you on about, dickhead? It could, it, just, it could affect Ken's performance, is what I'm saying. Oh, Christ, what well, a that's, grim, that's, that's a grim thought. That's Susanna Bates' problem. It's nothing to do with any of us. Can you promise us that we will hear from Sean Dyche after the Burnley game? Okay, yes. On the match ball? Yes. Can Sean just pop on and guarantee that? Yes. Thanks, Sean. Uh, Bailey Peacock, Farrell, can he be in Nets? It would help, wouldn't it? They've got a proper goalkeeper again now, haven't they? Which is a bit unfair. Haven't they got an entire team of players that we should be passing on the way up? Why are they still in the Premier League? In fact, this is the first bunch where we can legit say that, apart from, is it maybe Lewis Cook has now been relegated? Bless him. Yeah, and this is the other... Sam as well. Um, Alex Mowat. It's strange. Uh, Charlie Taylor, with his 100 games for Burnley and uh, delusions of the England squad, has turned out to be the most successful of them all. When... um, I was involved on, around the edges of that um, season ticket advert where the four of them were, all right, Redders, when he lent out the car and they went and um, they played football with some like eight-year-olds, one of whom was legitimately good, was a descendant of Andy Gray, the nephew of Eddie, and even as an eight-year-old looked amazing. And I, can't, I don't know whose youth system he is now in. I hope it's still ours. But of the four professional footballers on display in that game against eight-year-olds. It was Charlie Taylor who kept getting consistently tackled, um, fell over a couple of times. I'm sure he was nutmegged um, at one point. And I was kind of looking at him. And there was also, the, we took them to have the photographs taken with the, the stadium in the background. And I always remember it really well because Sam Byram in particular was quite touching. He looked at the ground and said to me, oh, it looks looks great from up here, doesn't it? I don't think he'd been up on that hill before. That stadium looks great from up here. Top of base to nil, this. Yeah, and we were kind of um, ribbing him a little bit because it was when there was rumours of transfers to Manchester City. We're like, it looks better than the Etihad, doesn't it? And he just smiled and he was laughing. But Alex Mowat said something like that as well. And 
Lewis Cook had a similar reaction where it was like, oh, wow, the stadium looks good. And they were all separate from each other. They hadn't heard each other saying it. And then Charlie Taylor went up and he didn't even look. He just, <laughs> it was like he was just in a, a, another world. He didn't seem particularly chatty or bright. And yet, look at the the, the four of them now. Alex Mowat ripping things up in League One. The other two, I don't even know what's become of Sam Byron. He went to Norwich, didn't he? And probably hurt himself again. Are you saying that Rafinha is going to tear a new arsehole for footballing simpleton Charlie Taylor? <laughs> well, I mean, if an eight-year-old can, I don't see why Rafinha can't. But also, I don't know what has happened to Charlie Taylor in the meantime, because he didn't start well at Burnley. And he does seem to have kind of... He's just gone with it, hasn't he? He's screwed the nut, as they used to say about Jack Charlton. And he has gone on with it and it's doing all right. Burnley have since beaten Wolves since we recorded last and we did the Phil Hay show prior to uh, to the Wolves game. And anything to be alarmed about that? Because they, they had a couple of games in hand at Burnley, so maybe their position was a slightly false one. They're all right, aren't they? But when you compare them to, let's say, the opponents we faced in recent weeks, they shouldn't be anywhere near. I'd look through the team and I'm not worried by any of it, apart from up front where you see Chris Wood and Ashley Barnes and it's the striker who used to play for us. The striker... GFH wouldn't sign because his football manager stats showed he wasn't as good as someone. Luke, Luke Varney. Luke Varney. Luke Varney. And they're both, they're both really good in the air. So that's where I'm concerned. And I'm sure they've got defenders who are good in the air as well. Just got, don't let them put the ball anywhere near our box. But I've, I've, I've got faith that Marcelo Bielsa will attempt to come up with a tactical plan that cuts out the service to those big men. It'll be Shackleton trying to jump very high, is my plan. It'll be scoring six in the first 20 minutes. I think we'll do to them what Scum did to us in... Um, in the first five, I think we'll um, we'll be fine. It'll come down to that thing of um, how you know Bruno Fernandez can certainly have a, a game that can stop Calvin Phillips from playing well. Who in Burnley's team can stop our players from playing well? They don't have that level of quality. So whatever they try will fail. Especially as they play generally a four-four-two. It's two banks of four, isn't it? So hopefully Phillips will have the space to play in. I do um, remember this level of cockiness before we played West Ham. I was going to say as well, we'll be. Um, if they've got two up front, we'll be three at the back. Do we have three defenders? It may actually have to be Creswell and Casey. We'll be fine. They can. I mean, Charlie Creswell's a, a big lad. He can handle Christopher Wood. And just looking at West Brom as well, you can kind of bracket these fixtures together, can't you? I mean, we spoke on the Phil show about wanting maybe somewhere between four and six points. You, you even said you'd take three, Michael. I mean, you know, we got you've got quite low expectations in life, but... I don't think three would be a disaster by any means. I feel, I feel like Burnley is probably a harder game than we're giving it credit for. I think you're overstating the the problem with the free kicks and the set pieces. And have I say you, that have f- you seen us? I know I say that fully aware of how many goals we've conceded from set pieces, and that I could have massively set myself up for some substantial egg on my face. But there's more to our game than that, and we are better than that. That is a weak spot that we have, but it's a weak spot we've had since Bielsa's arrived, and we're still where we are. We've got to concede some corners before people can score from them. Is the other thing as well? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, we'll, and we'll be busy attacking and scoring loads ourselves. Yeah. Okay. It'll you be, say so. It'll be fine. Well, West Brom are kind of interesting because they've managed to build up that mystique from the Billich promotion of having players who you, you're imagining that change of, you know, Allardyce is going in there with his Bluetooth headset on and just barking nonsense at them. But then you look at the team and it does still have Jake Livermore in it. Well, not for us it doesn't because he's suspended. But in general. <laughs> it's still it's still quite a it's it's not a, an all action kind of exotic exciting thrilling team I think I think what I'm saying is there's a lot there for Allardyce 
to work with. He'll have his one good player, that Dian Garner, and then the rest of them. Carl and Grant, I know it was Bilic who wanted him, but an ex-Huddersfield striker is just like, that's probably what sealed the deal for Allardyce when he's looking through that. Good. Do I want to take this job? Who've they got up front? Oh, brilliant. The new, yeah, just it'll be just like having Kevin John's, Davis back. The new John Stead. It's not like when he went to uh, Bolton and he had the, the players of the calibre of Mike Whitlow at his disposal, but um, he'll have to just make do with with what he's got there. But I bet. And um, Ivanovic as well. What's he, about 38? Good. Experienced. That's well. Like, it'll be like uh, even Campo 2.0. It does feel like quite a lot of significance has been heaped upon these two fixtures because of, you know, recent runs being a bit iffy. Newcastle was great, but it feels like we need a response to the Man United defeat. And I mean, to be fair, if you could have wished for two games where you would hope for a response, these would probably be it. Same what's weird with West Brom is last year, I quite liked them. And this year, I quite liked them. And now Allardyce has gone there. I hope we absolutely destroy him. Yeah. There's just something about him. I'm just, he, he will love this game and he will love it so much if they can get something from it because he'll be such a cocky fucker. Because he's had, he's had such an enormous chip on his shoulder for his entire career about not being given the proper opportunities. When he had them, when he had them, he drank pints of wine and grasps some money and he fucks up his one good opportunity he had because he's a greedy, fat bastard. Oh, the Premier League. Can't live with it. Can't live without it. It's been a good week up to a point and it was a terrible week after that point. Does it balance out somewhere in the middle? Well, there's, there's, there's just stuff wrong with the Premier League, isn't there? So much that we're picking up on something new every week in our feature. What's wrong with the Premier League? Because we are back to fix it once and for all. This week, what is wrong with the Premier League? Scum again, isn't it? Forgot. They've been a long-term problem with this Premier League, haven't they? <sighs> Forgot. I thought they'd gone away, you know. Before we played them, I thought, ah, they're nothing like the old scum. And even during the game, I thought, ah, they're nothing like the old scum, really. It's, and they're not. It's a friendlier bunch. But then I think I listened to those clips and I thought, ah, still a problem, aren't they, scum? I forget that, that fucking noise. It's too much. Third last season. And... Th- they're terrible and the, the way that their fans act is as if they've never been so insulted by a team ever. We all know Solskjaer is pointless. Third, that's great. You can't, I mean, that's a great season if you finish third in the Premier League and Liverpool and Manchester City over the last two seasons have been some of the best teams that we've seen for years. So if you're, if you're top of the pile after them, you've got to be really good. But they're fucking not. And where are they this season now? Third, again, how are they fucking doing it? I'm sick of them. If they're going to be shit, be shit. Do Get relegated. Yeah, yeah. Do, do Arsenal, yeah. doing it right this season. Where are they this season? So like the 17th. Are they below us still? Uh, yes. And they seem to have, yeah. I watched some of their game last night and they seem to have Paul Rahubka in net now as well, which is a nice touch. Yep. So, and they sold their good goalkeeper as well. They let him go to Aston Villa. So fantastic. Yeah. They're 15th. They're below us. That's how you fucking do it. <laughs> You're going to be shit. Be properly shit. Instead of that lot of fucking, oh no, we're fucking third again. Get fucking Solskjaer out. Fucking. That like Fred is a fucking waste of space. Can't believe Paul Pogba. When's he gonna fucking Pogba? Perform? Pogba. When are we gonna get something out of Pogba? Your third again. Pogba got your third. What more do you want from fucking Pogba? How do we fix it? Close them down. Empty Old Trafford. It was better because of that. Keep it that way. And um, some kind of we just got to stop them from paying eighty million pounds for players. That's what does it. Because I could probably be manager of Scum and get a reasonable finish out of them. Maybe not third, but I think at least fifth, and win the Europa League. How do you think they'd take to Mike Whitlow at left-back? I mean, who did play left-back for them? Some non-entity. 
And that's it. I don't know who any of their players are, but I know they all cost £80 million each, apart from Scott McTominay, who's come through their youth system with the most fucking scum face you can possibly imagine. He just He's, he's absolutely out of that fucking template of players. that They would put, put um, curtains on him and he's Gary Neville again. It's just <laughs> horrible. Have you seen Brandon Williams, who's come through their academy as well? That's a very scum face. Look. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> they're, they're just... Oh, look at him, little prick. So whatever, we've got to starve them of resources. I mean, everybody mocks them for those, you know, Ukrainian tractor sponsorships or whatever, but they then go and spend that money on on players and youth systems and whatever, and they finish third. I don't know, maybe we just abolish third place. I think we maybe need to set up like some sort of high-level newspaper sting with the Glazers, something like that. Well, that's the other thing as well. The Glazers are, are robbing them. I mean, obviously for legal reasons, that's... Um, <laughs> That's merely a metaphor. They're paying themselves handsomely for their work there. They're, they're profiting well. Um, so imagine, imagine what Scum would be like run properly with a with a proper manager and players that didn't look like cunts. <laughs> they would be frightening. So I don't know. Maybe this is the best we can expect. Is that they'll just sink to third? But we we need a return to the nineteen seventies. Relegate them. Get them just. And not uh, not relegated by desk, as Bielsa put it, when he was talking about promotion by desk, when it was going to be calculated on um, mathematical finishes. Make them go through a proper full relegation season when they finish bottom, and then make them have to fight their way back up. Five years in the championship. I think that's the only cure. When we get round to the new year, if you are planning to move house, have a look at Levi Solicitors for your conveyancing and uh, new build residential property needs. 85 years of legal excellence under their belt. A Leeds company you can trust with completely transparent fees. 10% discount for you because you're a listener to this podcast as well. Head to levisolicitors.co.uk forward slash the square ball. Heroes and villains now then. The high points and the low points, the good and the bad from the last seven days. First up is the Ken Bates Villainy Awards uh, nominations, please. Just to finish off the scum game, Anthony Marshall and Daniel James. We nominated Bruno Fernandes for diving in advance last week, but instead it was these two. And I don't think one was particularly more of a penalty than the other, to be honest, but one was a booking, one was a penalty. It's the way it goes these days. Should we have had a penalty? Yeah. What for? I mean, if they had one. The Bamford one where he got kicked and went down. I couldn't really see what happened, but I felt oh, like yeah. I wanted one. Vicious assault. Yeah, definitely. If they'd have shown it from the right angle and slowed it down enough, he could have had one. Isn't that he? what happens in Stockley Park? They didn't. The so-called Stockley Park. Is it not called that? <laughs> yeah, that's what you've got to say now, isn't it? The so-called VAR at, at this Stockley Park or whatever they call it. I would like to nominate so-called Danny Mills for shit-talking about Olivier Decor, who was one of my favourite players from the Champions League era suggested that he was a big game player only, which is not how I remember it. Do you? No. I don't think Danny Mills ever quite knows what he's going to say until the words are leaving his mouth. And then he maybe sometimes thinks, should I believe that? I've just said something, haven't I? You look, oh, quite, well. you look a quite, lot, uh, quite a lot like Danny Mills. Yes. You look a little bit more human. Well, I've got nothing bad to say about Olivier Decor either. So we should have maybe kept him instead of putting Paul Ocon in the team, is my, my controversial opinion about him. I mean, there was... The only criticism you could have of Olivier de Corps is that atmosphere of him maybe always being up for transfer, but then we did try to sell him. 
that was always the problem with the uh, when Venables came. Um, Decor was on the list with Robbie Keane and um, Gary Kelly and uh, I think Jason Wilcox and a few others that were going to they were going to ship out in the summer, but then all the deals fell through because Peter Ridsdale, great chairman, and um, so we just sold Rio Ferdinand instead, the one player Terry Venables who uh, had wanted to keep and kept all the players who were really pissed off to still be there. Worked a charm. I wish we hadn't collapsed in the post-Champions League era. I wish we'd have been good and done it again loads and kept all our good players and won things instead of everything that followed for 15 years. I mean, we, we did keep Danny Mills for a bit longer, didn't we? we did, um, even when he wasn't ours, we were still technically keeping ownership, weren't we? Yep. I mean, his big game performances for us while we were still paying him to play for Middlesbrough and Man City, Man City, City as well. Yeah. And he went, I mean, that wasn't, I don't think he went to Middlesbrough, came back to us and then went to City. He went to Middlesbrough and then they sold him to Manchester City and we were still paying him. It was um, extraordinary. And I watched, because um, I've been writing about old uh, Premier League matches before each fixture, not before the, before the Burnley one, because they're too shit to have played us in the Premier League before. But I watched the game against Scum in 2002, uh, when we were probably at our, our best, we'd started the season unbeaten. And uh, Danny Mills is at right back and their goal, their um, late equaliser comes from across from the right back position. And then I think they realise um, there was only a few minutes left, but they suddenly realised, oh, it's shit. And there's about four more crosses come from that side. Matteo Nelly scores an own goal, but Nigel Martin saves it. And then there's a, a header from Ruud van Nistelrooy that there's a beautiful fingertip save from Nigel Martin. You want to talk about turning up in a big game, Nigel Martin saved that match for us because Danny Mills was just absent. All on his shoulders then. And when it comes to the odd controversial opinion, Glenn Hoddle, no stranger. What's he having a nomination for? Presumably he's been having an opinion. About the disabled this time or? No, I think he's left them well alone this time. Okay. Yeah, he's been talking about Bielsa, hasn't he? Thinking that because he's only got a 12-month contract, he thinks he's not someone who's thinking of next season. I mean, a lot of what Bielsa does is all with a long-term view. His great thrill is developing the under-23s who presumably are not all going to get dumped into our first team en masse next season. So that seems to indicate a long-term view. But this this falls into, I think Phil Hay was sort of touching on this, the the level of punditry that's going on in the Premier League is shite. You've got a lot of high-level pundits who just are paid to have, probably quite well, to have an opinion of some sort on the things that they see, but with absolutely no background knowledge or research that goes into it whatsoever this is the the sort of this is the punditry landscape these days yeah i think it tells you as well a lot about the people saying these things how they would go about doing their jobs we know that marcelo bielsa has had a one-year contract all the time he's been working here and we also know the development at thorpe arch that has gone on in that time it's not like when he leaves the he's going to throw broken glass all over the running track that he, he forced the club to, to put in. That will be there for us to use for as long as we want to stay there. And the, all the development with the, the ideas that have gone through down the coaches, that will all stay. He's done it all. Glenn Hoddle saying this basically reveals if he had a one-year contract at the club, he wouldn't give a fuck about any of that. He's talking about himself. It always always reveals a little bit about um, people's own attitudes when they talk about oh, how people would would be in that situation you know he's a person that goes 12 months at a time this is not someone who is thinking of next season and planning because he does Christ all he does is think of what's next and plan 
that's his, his entire raison d'etre is exactly. future planning. And what Glenn Hoddle is saying is that if I was manager of Leeds United and I had a 12-1 contract, I would not be thinking of next season or planning. I would just be thinking about keeping Glenn Hoddle in a job for as long as possible. And it, it reveals the true selves of these idiots. Speaking of which, idiots, talk sport. Fucking tedious, aren't they? The whole shit show is just tedious i don't even get annoyed by it now i see the stuff on um on twitter and i just think oh just shut up shit they, they, they had me on before the chelsea game exactly when it comes to tedious <laughs> opinions fucking hell sick of them you're quite it was max uh rushton though he's a he's a decent chap yeah he seems just fine but there's a, there's a lot of the sort of low level of talk sport too he kind of i don't know and then there's that i don't even know what jamie o'hara is or does but he's always got an opinion and they've got agbon laura it's just it's clickbait radio and it's bollocks, isn't it? It's all bollocks. There is a, a problem that doesn't originate in the way we play. It's down to the need for there to be a, a debate around every game. So there will always be an argument about whether Bielsa's style of play is good or not merely to fill airtime. So there's always going to be that will just be part of the, the Premier League. And for some reason, you know, that's why Gabby Ogbonglahor thinks that he's some kind of, you know, troll at the bridge the Premier League that we have to answer three questions like well what about your naive manager what the f- get out from under the bridge and leave yeah. us alone um, yeah you're right it all just needs ignoring because that's how you kill it you ignore it you don't listen you don't engage so let's hear from Steve Nickel. yes who <laughs> is uh, he's brilliant is Steve Nickel, ESPN pundit if you're not familiar with where we're getting these clips from and former Liverpool great yep former- and Sheffield Wednesday um, near drowning <laughs> yes so he and he was in Fleetwood Mac as well. Yeah, he has he has opinions, but they're the most uninformed, spectacularly dour opinions that anybody's ever expressed on the internet. So do have a look at like at the ESPN. Uh, no, don't just listen feeds. to our bit. We'll, we'll yeah, okay. bring you everything you need to know. All right, we'll distill the good bits. Okay, so um, he's confused by Leeds United because it involves maybe engaging your brain beyond just what you see on the television screen, uh, and then he's asked how good Man United are. The way the league's set out anyway, you you can't really gauge teams generally on what happens against Leeds United because they're not normal. This is not a normal game. Today wasn't a normal game. I mean, 6-2, could have been 10-5. I mean, just, they're not normal. So you can't really judge United at home against Leeds United. However, if you score six goals, you deserve a part in the back because you're obviously creating uh, and finishing. So from that point of view, yes, but... I'm not quite ready to, to, to say United or anything particularly yet off the back of a a, a, a home win against Leeds United. They're not normal. <laughs> it's just... I, I, oh, I can't, no. I mean, it's 20 odd years and it's since Peter Kay did the old garlic bread thing. But <laughs> Steve Nichol is, is the garlic bread man, isn't he? He sounds quite confused as well in this one. There's a lot of love for Bielsa, isn't there, Stevie, in the footballing world. How naive was his... His team set up today. Well, you could probably say that every week. You know, the, the the truth of the matter is, the guy is all about attacking football, and that's why that's why he's so so lauded and, and so loved with his peers, particularly because we all want to go and play attacking open football. But then there's there's a professional aspect that that means that well, you have to take care of the defensive side somewhat. And he doesn't do somewhat. He doesn't do anything. So, yes, I understand it's all about open attacking football. That's what you want to do. 
uh, as a kid, that's why you play the game. You want to score goals, and if you can't score, you want to make goals. But I tell you what, if you don't have a defence and you're you're a defender in a team that that leaves you on your own, it ain't any fun. I can assure you. So, yeah, good going forward. But defensively, Bielsa is just he's well, he's he's not there, is he? I think he almost catches up with his his own memories there. It's like didn't when you're a kid, didn't you? <laughs> It was all you wanted to do and it was fun. Didn't mean there was joy. Well, it's not sustainable, though, but, is it? You can't be happy forever. You, you can try, but moments of joy in this life are fleeting. You have to let, you have to let the cynicism overtake you. The, and it's so rare in life that you're going to be happy. That There's really no point enjoying it when it happens. I, I remember my wedding day was the most miserable day of my entire life. <laughs> Because I just knew, you know, there was all my family and friends around and my wife, she looked, she looked so beautiful. I just couldn't wait to, to set her hair on fire. But I just, I knew that the next morning it would be completely different. It just wasn't sustainable. Misery is inevitable. And so you've just, you may as well just hurry the process up and, and, and not enjoy any of what you ever ever doing. I know yes, it's hard to work. It's Christmas the time for the children. You talk to them. You want to grow up and, and be happy. You won't. You're just, so there's no point even, you know, I had that chat with my, my kids when they were four, had to tell them Santa Claus, it doesn't exist. And believing in that is just, I mean, it's not, you're not, if you're thinking Santa's going to come and give you a present on Christmas Day, you're just not there. There's the Argos catalogue. It's all in there. Oh. It's fucking lies. And, and you know, and, and by the way, kids, you're all going to be dead one day. And the presents you've picked out, well, we can't afford those. You, you, you can't have You can look at the pictures, but that's as near as you'll ever be to happiness. A Game Gear and a Game Boy for fucking dreaming. <laughs> what is the collective noun for a bunch of shit pundits? A nickel of... Maybe a collymore. Yeah. Okay. You might... Although a mills, a mills of pundits. Uh, at least if you say mills, you won't have to go to Canuck to fight Stan Collymore. Uh, who is your villain of the week then? Is, is it one of the shit pundits or is it the Man United pair? Should we just say it's, it is the the mill, the punditry mill, where they all work and grind. The workhouse. Which is as good as your life gets. Pundits, okay. Anybody who's spoken about Leeds United in a negative way this week, up yours. Right, the Andy Hughes Hero Award. It's been a difficult week, but first half of it was all right. Newcastle bit of it. Let's uh, let's pick a hero then. Some nominations. Who have you got? Been on the pundits. We can't do it because I refuse, but... Gary Neville and Roy Keane have both been nice about us. Pricks. Yeah, and they're actually core and central to the reasons why I hate Man United. Yeah, so they can fuck off. Don't watch us. If you're enjoying watching us, Gary, stop. I don't want you to. <laughs> nothing, it's not yours to enjoy. Nothing Roy Keane can ever say will ever make up for what he did to Alfie Harland. And I still hope that the, the entire reason why Erling Harland has grown up such a, a strong robotic beast is because one day he's going to exact revenge um, on the children of Roy Keane or Roy Keane himself? Roy Keane himself. I think first he'll sign for Scum for £80 million and everybody will think, oh, this could be the transfer that, that completes him. And then he'll just be shit. He'll just absolutely ruin his own style of play for at least a season. And then when Roy Keane, after every game, is saying, yeah, this kid's a joke. Scottish. <laughs> he'll uh, He'll dismantle him like an old Lego castle. Other heroes, then give me some nominations that are not uh, former Man United players. Stuart Dallas, that goal—it was a very good goal, and um, they were both good goals. 
They were. We scored from a corner, so Liam Cooper can um, have one as well. And Ilan Melier, because that game could have been... It was just on the cusp at 6-2. Like, we have rationalised it and, and we all believe in, in what's happening and we can take it. If it had been 12, as I did fear at one moment it was going to be, I did have that sinking feeling. I just thought, it could be anything, this. Um, it would have been very difficult to say, well, we scored two <laughs> and we had a lot of shots. And Melier uh, really helped with that. And he has been, I think he's quite a chance of player of the season. And also at Old Trafford, with it being so quiet, there was one moment where you heard him shout and it reminded you what a, a deep voice he has. Uh, we should nominate, when it comes to the youngsters, we should nominate the under-23s because they're in sparkling form. Are we going to play them all? Put Melier in there. Give, yeah. him his, give him a chance. i got to say Melier should be playing for them in Michael's book. <laughs> but, but I am too old. Why am I with the children? Yeah, they're doing well, aren't they? It's good. It's good to have actual good young players and in a proper league as well because that league we were in before was always a little bit of a piss take wasn't it like we'd occasionally have to play someone out of this division that we're in now and get spanked whereas now we're holding our own and playing against better players every week makes you better Neil Harris is apparently sniffing around um, Sam Greenwood wants him on loan in January that can't happen does he want him for Cardiff or Millwall <laughs> well I mean his first love obviously is Millwall where I suppose he could learn a few things from Matthew Smith about the art of um, goal scoring but no I think he wants him for Cardiff but they can't have it no no he can piss off are we going to give Eddie Gray a nomination because obviously the under 23s are great it's time to play them all and put him in charge I don't see why not how old is he now about 80 perfect about Gary McAllister then for having his birthday on Christmas day he brought us lots of Christmas joy I don't see why not <laughs> just feels <laughs> how like old is he just feels like it's been a bit of a desperate week that's all mind you we had the Newcastle game so do we want to nominate Steve Bruce for his uh, lack of effort in managing a football club Was it was very um Football management by numbers, wasn't it, from Steve Bruce? Just turn up, put some players in a formation. Hope for the best. You Didn't did. work. Ah, well. You gave it a try, lads. Did I'll, your best. I'll get a payoff soon enough, won't I? Is that everybody? Bit of a fallow week. It's Christmas. Come on, let's have some cheer. Let's stick... Um, oh, no. We're on heroes now, aren't we? Who <laughs> <laughs> are you going to say? Merry Christmas. I was going to nominate um, Sam Allardyce for, for getting 0.04 as an XG for in his first West Brom game, which was one of the most remarkable stats I've ever seen. I don't think I've ever seen a, a stat as low as that for XG. So feels like you've you've potentially jinxed us there. So I think we need to be careful around that. Yeah, that's only heroic if they um if they maintain that form over the Christmas period. Not point not for XG, but a one nil win against us. Nobody wins one nil against us. It's it's ten four or nothing. All right. I, how about this then? We need some Christmas spirit. We need some generosity. It's a time of loving and giving. What about Leeds United? for being the best football club in the whole wide world and still having everybody talking despite losing 6-2. What about that? This is the first Christmas when we've ever been doing this podcast that we've been in the Premier League. I think I think we forget sometimes how far we've come, how we thought this day would never, never happen. This is where we always wanted to be and we're here um, in Hating that stable. <laughs> in that stable in Bethlehem, looking around at all the donkeys and uh, and being glad that in our part of the barn stable, your your Fabian knowledge is letting you down here, isn't it? You want, you need like a a word for it. Is a um a crib <laughs> with a baby that looks like Marcelo Bielsa in it. Great, which is not unlikely. He could kind of resemble a baby in some ways, or a baby might resemble him. 
if your if your baby looks like if you have if you give birth on Friday and your baby looks like Marcelo Bielsa, email us. We, we might even send you a mug or something. This baby's stupid. Don't even speak English. Okay, well, it's so it's naive. <laughs> Tell you what, let's um, let's give it to Leeds United. You can't keep shit in your pants. <laughs> It'll build up. Those nappies, you know, they're not sustainable. You've got you got to keep cleaning those. Let's say Feliz Navidad and give it to Leeds United because we need some Christmas cheer and they've brought Christmas cheer to us. Even if we lost 6-2, they're still making the world talk about us. It's a Premier League Christmas. Have a lovely Christmas and we'll see you on the other side. I think that's what you've got to say, isn't it? Enjoy. See you in a bit. The Square Ball Podcast. 